Welcome to the Lifehouse Church Podcast. Lifehouse is a church that exists to invite all people to live an uncommon life by following Jesus, doing life together, getting in the game, and leaving a legacy. We hope that today's message helps you grow as a follower of Jesus, gives you perspective to see yourself and others differently, and inspires you to make a difference in the world around you. Now, let's get to this week's message. Well, good morning, everybody. It's Pastor John here, lead pastor here at Lifehouse. Welcome to Church Online. We're so glad you're with us today, especially if it's your first time. Make sure you fill out the digital connection card. We want to send you a small gift as a way of saying thank you for joining us today. And if Lifehouse is your church home, welcome home. We are so glad you're with us. We're continuing continuing our series today, Best Year Ever, through the book of what? Philippians. And we are excited to continue today. Before we do one thing, next Sunday, everyone type in next Sunday. Next Sunday is Vision Sunday. This is an important day for our church. We're going to review what God did in 2021, and I'm excited to tell you about the things that I feel God leading us to do in 2022. So look, next Sunday, I need you online checking us out. I need you in person checking us out. If you call our church home, please join in next Sunday for Vision Sunday. I'm excited about it. All right, so we are continuing our series today. If you are ready to dive in, type in, I'm ready. And we are in chapter 1, verses 27 through 30. Before I do that, let me just review the context with you of the book of Philippians. Um, this was written about 30 years by the, about 30 years right after Jesus died by the Apostle Paul. And this was a letter he wrote to a church he planted. And these were people he dearly loved. He probably did weddings and funerals, dedicated babies. These were people he dearly loved. This was a very pastoral letter. But Paul found himself, while writing this letter, in prison. So he was writing back to them to show them his love and to give some, di- some direction and to give some tutelage. And, and so that's what we see in this letter. But the power of the word of God is it just wasn't, wasn't written to Christians 2,000 years ago. It's written to Christians right now. It's written to us by the spirit of God. And the theme of this book is joy. So Paul, though he's in prison, the, there's 104 verses in this book and he uses the word joy or rejoice 16 times, which is wild because he is in prison, which this book shows us the joy we can have even in the midst of crazy circumstances. So let's go ahead and read our text together. This is chapter one, verse 27. It says this, Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then, whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even by God himself. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I am still in the midst of it. My subject title for today's message is Between Two Worlds. Between Two Worlds. Let's pray. Jesus, we invite you into this time. Change us, challenge us. Take your word and make it alive to us. I pray for each person watching, would they encounter you today in what we studied together. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. So have so I don't know about you, but I grew up playing basketball. Um, and the toughest games that we would play in high school would be road games. Because you go into somebody else's gym, to somebody else's opposing territory, and it's wild, man. Like, you're trying to shoot a free throw, and they're screaming. They're holding up stuff. They're yelling at you. You suck. You're terrible. We hate you. And this was a, a Christian school. <laughs> but but it, was, it, it was like it was really hard having your own home game 
and where everyone's cheering for you, it's all good. And then you would go from that into somebody else's gym and it would be like, man, this is a lot harder because you're playing on somebody else's field, on somebody else's home while you're carrying there who you are as a school, as, as, as a team, you're then carrying and you're going to somebody else's gym and to someone else's home and you're trying to win and play the game. What Paul is talking about today and what he starts off with in this scripture verse is it, it, it so relates to what I just said. Why? Because what Paul starts off with he says, you are citizens. He said, above all else, above all else, you must live as citizens of heaven. So he's saying, he's reminding them, like, as a Christian, just know your true home is not earth, but you are a citizen of heaven. Though you are a citizen of there, you are also living and playing on this planet earth. So you can see the home was heaven, but we're all here. We are, we're almost living as Christians. And if you are not a Christian today, my hope is that in your lifetime, sometime before you die, you would make a decision to follow Jesus. And maybe even if you wanna make that decision right now, all we say is just say yes to following Jesus. I believe the Holy Spirit can speak to you even right now. That if you just say yes to him, like you draw a line of demarcation and then you say, I'm crossing that line to follow Christ. That, that he will supernaturally come into your life and you will go from death to life and be a follower of him. And then you start a brand new life. So if you, you want to make that decision today, right now, would you just type yes in the comment section? And once you do that, somebody from, from our team, they will reach out to you and they will connect with you. And we will get you started on this journey of following Jesus. But, but what Paul is saying here is, is, is that as Christians, we live in this weird in-between world where our citizenship is not on this earth. We have a citizenship, right, in, in the United States, whatever, wherever country, but that's not your true home. Your true home as a Christian is heaven, yet you are living in this world that is full of brokenness and that in many ways feels like hell. You have got a team, but you consistently feel like you're playing a road game. That is this in-between world that many Christians live and find themselves in and what Paul starts off our text with today. You're a citizen of heaven. So therefore, conduct yourselves in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. Jesus came to bring a kingdom. Jesus did not come to just start a behavioral management corporation. He just did not come to start a way for you to act right. Jesus ultimately came to bring a kingdom where he was the king that would be a new reality for people to live in, that would change their perspective, that would change the way they think, that would almost be a world within a world that you can now step into and live in by faith, where it is a king that, that has a kingdom and that we can now actually live in reality. And you can see this, when you read the gospels, you hear Jesus starting things off, the kingdom of God is like, and what he's saying is that like, yeah, though you're living in, the, in, in, this, Roman, in this Roman empire, th there is a kingdom that's actually living and growing within this Roman empire, and it is the kingdom of God and the kingdom that God is building that is full of love, that is welcoming to all people, that you know what, even within this kingdom, you forgive people instead of retaliating. 
You love those who don't like you. You are a kingdom that, that says we want to be righteous, not just to get something from God because we want to be like God. Jesus came to bring a whole new kingdom to earth, but so many people missed it because they just thought he came to bring behavior management. And so many people think that now. They're like, Jesus just wants to make you from being good or from, from being bad to good. Jesus came to take you from death to life. That's why he said, I'm the resurrection and the life, right? But even when you read Jesus' words, even one of the most famous passages of scripture, the Beatitudes, whenever he's describing what life in the kingdom is like, let me actually read this to you real quick. This is what Jesus said, Matthew 5. He said, blessed, and so first of all, let me tell you, Jesus is redefining what blessed is. And he's saying what life in the kingdom of God looks like. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. What Jesus is saying here is there is a new sheriff in town. There's a new kingdom in town with a king that is loving and generous and kind and compassionate, but full of bringing the truth and taking heaven and bringing it to earth. Even when Jesus was teaching his people how to pray, he said, pray this, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He was saying as his followers, we are his representation to bring more of heaven to earth, yet we live in this in-between world where we're people of heaven, yet we're living in a hellish world. Even, even Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, when he was writing a letter to people he dearly loved and pastored, he said this to them. He said, dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. What is Paul saying? He said, temporary residence. As a Christian, this is your temporary resident. You are a foreigner. Your real home is your citizenship is in heaven. Therefore, what should that mean? The way you conduct yourself should look like you are from a different world. And that is why Paul said, conduct yourselves in a, mer in a way that's worthy of the gospel. But the way he frames this is he reaffirms them of their identity first before he talks about their behavior. And this is something at Lifehouse we push hard because I don't want you to think, like I said, Jesus came to just be a behavior, to start a behavior management corporation. Jesus came to give you a new identity, to literally take you from death to life, from hopeless to hope. Jesus came to take you from old to new. And this is nothing you can accomplish. This is done when you accept by grace through faith what Jesus did. It gives you a new identity identity, even 2 Corinthians 5, this is what Paul said, anyone that belongs to Christ has become a new person, new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. Type in the, types, type in the chat section right now, I am new. I am new. And this is what I want to get in the head of those that call our church home, is you are new because of what Jesus did for you. And that's nothing you can earn. That's something you simply receive and that changes your identity. And then from that identity, then it starts to affect our behavior. If you think your behavior changes your, your identity, that is not Christianity. It is an identity-based change. That instead of saying, do these things, then you'll become, 
Christianity is you've already become. Now live up to who you already are and who God says you are. Another passage, this is what Paul said. He's talking to the church in Colossae. He says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ. So he's saying, because of who you now are, set your sights on the realities of heaven. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of this earth. Then it says, so put to death the sinful earthly things lurking in you. Have nothing to do with sexual, with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. You used to do these things when your life was still a part of this world, but now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on the new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Paul is, when he corrects people, he's not telling them, you're bad, stop doing bad things. He says, this, this isn't you anymore. Like, this isn't you. The way you're acting isn't lining up with who you now are. Like, you, it's not saying do these things, then you'll become, it's like, no, you've, you've, you're already new. So because you're, you're new, the stuff you're doing doesn't match up with who you are. It's like, no, we see sex differently. We see people differently. We see impure language. We see idolatry. We see money. We see all of these things differently. Why? Because we have a new identity. And this is something that I want to get into our church because I don't want anyone to think our church is just trying to change people's behavior. That is a byproduct of people having their identity changed as they have a revelation of what Jesus did for them and they accept that and then they realize who they are now in Christ. I am so passionate about this. But here's the downside to when people realize, okay, this isn't my home. I'm, I'm not, you know what? I live in this world, in, in this world that's in between two worlds. What can happen then is we can say, well, I'm a citizen of heaven now. I got a new identity. I'm doing new things. My behavior is getting more Christ-like, more godly. I'm just going to get away from this crazy world. And what Christians will have a proclivity to do is then form holy huddles. To then where we say, well, we're from the heavenly world, so I don't, I don't, I don't want to get near this, this crazy world. So then they will detach and they will form holy huddles. And instead of viewing the world as a place where they are sent to, to bring the gospel and to bring a representation of who Jesus is, they detach from the world and just create little holy, holy huddles in the city. And they miss the mission that they were called to be on. And that is taking heaven and bringing it to this hellish earth. How? How do we do this though? How do we take this heavenly kingdom, this heavenly world that we are now a part of and take it to a world that's full of just hell? The perfect example is Jesus. The perfect example is Jesus. He was the perfect mix. And that's why it's so important. You need to read about Jesus. For those of you who don't read your Bible, I wanna encourage you, read the gospels, read about Jesus. For those of you who do read your Bible, a perfect plan or a good plan is to always work in the Gospels, because you read about Jesus. You see how Jesus lived. You see how Jesus, Jesus treated sinners. You see how Jesus treated religious people. You see how Jesus handled friends that turned their back on him. You see how Jesus handled stress. You see how Jesus prayed. You want to get some of Jesus. But here's the thing. Jesus was the perfect mix of being from heaven, yet also reaching the world and living in this perfect spot in between worlds. Jesus was close enough to influence people within the world, but not close enough to be influenced by the world. He was in the world, but not of the world. He was called a friend of sinners, but never sinned. 
He was called a glutton and drunkard because he was with people that did those things, but he never got drunk nor participated in gluttony. Jesus lived this perfect mix between two worlds. M.S. Harmon says this here, our identity as foreigners must not result in withdrawal from this world. Jesus prays not for his people to be removed from the world, but to be kept from the evil one as they live in this world because they are set apart for God's special purposes. It was actually a prayer Jesus prayed before he left the earth and as he was going into the final week of his life where he was going to be crucified. The Apostle John actually writes down in his gospel recorded prayers that Jesus prayed. And let me share with them, or let me share with you one of them. This is John chapter 17, verses 14 through 19. This is what Jesus said. He said, I have given them your word. So he's praying to his father. Lord, he says, Father, I've given them your word. And the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. And he's talking about his, his disciples and followers of Jesus. But I'm, I'm asking you to keep them safe from the evil one. It says, they, the disciples, do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. And just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying, Christian, followers of Jesus. Yes, you are a citizen of heaven. Your identity's been changed. But then as your identity, and now as you are a citizen of heaven, you have a new identity. That doesn't mean you just sit in your holy huddle. We do what Jesus did. We realize that we are now sent to the world to be a representation to the world, that we are called to live in this in-between world where we are citizens in heaven, yet at the same time, we live in a broken world. We are citizens of heaven, yet we live in a hellish world. But then as citizens of heaven, we're called to bring the message of heaven into the opposing team's territory, into the opposing team's field and play on their territory. And it's gonna be hard as we know, but at the same time, it says, Jesus is in the same way, I've been sent from you, Father, I am sending them. And what I wanna tell you today is if you are a follower of Jesus, you have been sent. Missionaries are not just people who go to different countries. Missionaries are not just people that go to countries that, are, that struggle, India, Africa, with all of these people. Missionaries, missionaries are people who are sent to sports teams and gyms and schools and workplaces, gymnastics practices, Zoom meetings. Here's the thing, until Christian, you see yourself as being sent by Jesus, you'll continually think you've been sentenced to the hell of this world. I say, I've said it a lot at our church. You have been sent, you haven't been sentenced. If you're in Newport News, you didn't wanna be here, you're on the peninsula, you didn't, you, you didn't wanna be here, well, you're here for some, for some reason, purpose. If you are here, you haven't been sentenced, you have been sent. But as a Christian, if you don't realize you have been sent, then you will think you've been sentenced to wherever you are. God, if you are a Christian, you are a messenger, an ambassador of heaven that is then called to take heaven and bring it to whatever hell you go to and be the representation of heaven. You've been sent by Jesus. And this is what Paul is trying to communicate. You're a citizen of heaven. Now conduct yourself in a way that is worthy of this gospel, of this good news, and of the kingdom of God. But then he even dives into, right after this, he dives into some, character, some characteristics 
of what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God and how to live in these weird in-between worlds that we have. And he actually highlights three specific things about how we live in this in-between world in a way that honors heaven yet reaches the world, that, that realizes we're ultimately a citizen of heaven, yet as we're there, we have a way that conducts ourselves in a, a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He does three things. The three things are unity, the second thing, let me see if I can find it here, fear. And the third thing is suffering. Unity, fear, and suffering are going to be things that we're going to have to learn to deal with in this in-between world. This is what Paul said. He said, whether I come to see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose. And he's talking to the church, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they're going to be destroyed, but, you're, but you are going to be saved. For you have not only been given the privilege of trusting Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We're in this struggle together. Unity. Do you hear, do you hear Paul's language here? He's saying, as the church, stand together. You fight together and you struggle together. And what is he saying? It's unity. But I want to focus on this word together, because this is what ultimately makes Excuse me. This is what ultimately makes the church the church. Together. Do you know the word church within the Greek language is the Greek word ecclesia, which actually means to gather. To gather. That sounds very similar to together. What the church does, what makes the church different is we gather. That's why opportunities we have to gather on Sundays are so vital. Whether online or in person, what makes the church is we gather but not just gather on Sundays, we gather in groups. We're actually starting life groups. Some of them have already started, but there's still plenty of time for for you to sign up. You're gonna see a link in the chat section. If you do want more information about groups, text groups to 757-690-2401. Like here's the thing, you need to gather. What makes the church together is that we gather. And when you don't make a priority to gather, it's kinda hard to be together to be together. But he says we fight together, we struggle together, we strive together. And what us gathering together, what should ultimately do is it bring unity. One of the things that breaks my heart is the lack of unity within the church, within the body of Christ. Instead of fighting together, we're fighting each other. And I don't think we, we realize as the church, those that believe in Jesus, we are brothers and sisters. We are family. And it's such a bad testimony to the world when we as Christians can't even get along and love each other. The goal is unity. But here's the thing, being unified doesn't mean there's uniformity. The goal of the church isn't to all look the same, dress the same, just all be the same. The goal of the church is to be unified, but being unified also means we actually have uniformity. Like we actually welcome, like we want to be a diverse church that is unified but unity doesn't mean uniformity. And what does that simply mean? Unity means we focus on and we look at what unites us instead of looking at all the potential things that could potentially divide us. But it doesn't mean just because we focus on what unites us is that we simply dismiss all of those things that make us differences. Why? Because we understand that as people have differences about secondary things, they come together and talk 
and chat. It brings empathy. It brings relationship. It brings us together when we want to hear a different opposing side of something that is maybe outside of our normal comfort zone. And that's what ultimately breeds unity, empathy, care, understanding, weeping with those who weep, mourn with those who mourn. It's being together. My heart is to have a diverse, unified church, but isn't stuck on uniformity in secondary things that in the light of eternity don't mean a whole lot. Like, I want to have a church that has Republicans and Democrats, men and women, young and old, white, black, Asian, orange, yellow. And here's the thing, where we don't say the color doesn't matter or we don't see color. No, we see color and then we do what? Honor it and we acknowledge it and we cherish it and we celebrate the diversity and the uniqueness. We don't act like we're colorblind. A place where there is rich people and poor people, married, single, divorced people. A place where we don't have uniformity, but we gather around the thing and the things that make us unified. And as followers of Jesus, the things that we, are, that we have all common to us as Christians were made in the image of God and that we are all bought, purchased, and redeemed by the blood of Christ. What draws us together is red, and it's the blood of Jesus that goes beyond race, color, all of the things that we want to divide us. It speaks to a world that this is what heaven is like when the church is unified, but there's not uniformity. Do y'all see the power of this and how this has the power to live in this world in between where people, because y'all, heaven's diverse. If you think heaven is just gonna be full of Republicans or Democrats, are you crazy? You think it's just gonna be men, women, like, like one, no, heaven is gonna be the most diverse place on earth, but what is going to make it uniform is the fact of those who they believed in and lived for. And that is, I want our church, as we're in this crazy world, to, to look as much like heaven as possible, and heaven is gonna be the most diverse place Ever. Do you hear my heart? He's talking about here unity being one of the marks of living in this in-between world. What declares heaven in a hellish world is a church and body of believers that are together. Can you type in that word, together? The second thing that Paul says here when he talks about we're living in this crazy, this crazy in-between world, he says, is this word fear. He says, don't be intimidated by your enemies. Essentially saying, you are from a heavenly place. You've got a heavenly identity, a Jesus identity. Fear should not rule you. Now, here's the thing. We're all going to have the feeling of fear. But fear, see, here's the thing. A spirit and feeling are different. You can have the feeling of fear, but that's different than having the spirit of fear. And what I believe has happened in our time of COVID and in our time of just Technology, media, you know everything that's going on. You know everything that's going wrong around the world. You know everything through the neighborhood app, what's going on around you, thefts and break-ins and people being, all of, of this stuff. I believe what has happened is we have actually caught on, not just the feeling of fear, the spirit of fear. And what I want to encourage you as a follower of Jesus, 2 Timothy 1.7, this is what Paul said to his pastoral protege, Timothy. He said, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Look, as Christians, fear, you'll have fear. There's plenty of stuff to fear inside of you, outside of you. I'm not devaluing or invalidating that fear is a real thing. It's a real emotion. 
there's plenty of potential to have fear. But what I am saying as a Christian, fear should not and should not be in your driver's seat and you in the passenger seat. Here's the thing. Sometimes fear is within the passengers. Like it, it is beside you, but you're in the driver's seat and you're like, yep, you're with me, but I'm still driving things. But God's desire for you is not to be driven by fear. You're gonna have fear, so it might be in the passenger seat, but also too, I believe God wants to kick that spirit of fear out of his church. Because as we're living as people in this in-between world, fear communicates to the world that Jesus is not Lord, he really isn't sovereign, he really isn't providential, and when we, exp- when we show the spirit of fear, it communicates that God is not powerful, he's not strong, he is not mighty, he is not in control, it actually communicates a lack of faith in what we believe. Hear me clearly, I'm not saying you don't have the feelings of fear, but as a follower of Jesus, those feelings need to submit your faith and the strength and the trajectory and the pattern and the character of Jesus. Like I said, I mean, even you look in the Bible, the most quoted command in the Bible was fear not, do not fear. Why? Because God knew there's going to be plenty of stuff for us to fear, We're gonna, especially now, but do not fear. Why don't you have to fear? Fear. Why? Because you have a, you're in a new kingdom. You're in a new reality. You have a new king that loves you and is for you and is with you and says, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about your past. Live in the, live in the moment here. Don't worry about fear because if you don't have to worry about what's going to be provided tomorrow, he'll provide for you. Even as Paul said last week, he said, if I live, okay, great. I get to, to live for Christ. If I die, I get to go and be with Christ. I can't lose. What do I have to fear? Right? Like, do you, Do you see the heart here? But here's the thing, what I've learned about fear, fear can have gasoline thrown on it or water thrown on it. Gasoline or water. Here's the thing, reading more about what could happen instead of what God's promises are will promote fear. It's like gasoline on your fear is when you read more about what could potentially happen instead of what God's character and promises are. Looking back and listening to your past experiences more than reading about who you now are in Christ and what he says and promises will promote fear. Being surrounded by fearful people and voices instead of people who see with eyes of faith and believe in the protection and power of God will promote fear. My question is, what are you throwing on the fear that is real and valid? Are you throwing gasoline on it and you're stroking it and you're saying yes, like, you know, and it's, you know, it's like, or are you pouring water on it with God's word and with God's promises and with those surrounding your life that are speaking faith into you? Fear is something you can have the power and control over. Is fear there all the time? No doubt about it. But it does not have to rule you. You can rule it. And there's a way to do that. And that's with God's word. Okay. Living in this in-between world. Stand together, unity. This in-between world. Fear. We don't have to fear. We have a heavenly king. All right. So this last one here we see Paul bringing up is suffering. Is suffering. In this world in-between that we live in, It's going to be this weird thing of knowing as a heavenly citizen, just as Jesus said, you're going to suffer. It's a part of being in the kingdom of God. We know this because Jesus suffered. We know this because he was even called the suffering servant. Jesus was not just a, 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 someone that suffered in our place. He did on the cross to save us eternally, but also he suffered even before he went on the cross through the life he lived. Why? Because that's an example for us. Jesus just didn't save us. He was an example for us. 
So we see if we're going to follow Jesus, even Jesus warned his, his disciples. He said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. If I had rough times, you're going to have rough times, right? He was saying suffering is a part of being in this in-between world where we have this heavenly home that we know there's going to be no suffering, yet we're in this world that's full of it. How do we live in this in-between world? I think we do it when we look at suffering through the lens not only of Jesus, but of what scripture, when we see what suffering has the potential to build and do within us. And when I say suffering, I know many of you are suffering right now with things, whether it's relational, it's physical, it's emotional, it's psychological, it's relational. Suffering is a lot of different ways, and I'm not devaluing or invalidating what I am saying, though, and what I believe scripture invites us to do is to come and see suffering differently in this in-between world, so then it can be used for our good and for God's glory. So what do we see about suffering? Because what Paul says here, he says, for you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege, and that's a crazy word, of suffering for him. Suffering for him. A few thoughts about suffering, and then we'll close. Romans 5 says that suffering has the ability to produce perseverance. Romans 5 says this, as it is not only so, but we glory in our sufferings. Why? Because we know Suffering produces perseverance, perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. Essentially, he's saying suffering has a way to shape and mold you to be more like Christ into where you get stronger. In fitness, you typically don't grow unless you suffer, unless you put yourself through some suffering, but it makes you stronger. In our life, you know this, we all know this, but it still sucks, is that suffering is a way to build us and strengthen us. And it's a way for God to get, the, get our attention so we can hear him and see him. Don't, look, suffering goes, what I've seen is suffering goes from these periods of why did this happen? You have a period of that and you need to go through that. You need to grieve. But then at some point, it's got to transition to God, what are you trying to show me and what are you trying to do and build in me? Suffering has the ability to produce perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. Suffering doesn't just has the power to build us. It, it actually teaches us. This is one of the weirdest things in scripture in, in the book of Hebrews that was said about suffering in Jesus. It said this, even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. He learned. Suffering has something to teach us and you, you cheapen suffering when you don't get what you need to learn from it. Suffering has a way of teaching. I say this, you know, I kind of use this example all the time because it's something that's very personal to me, but stuttering has been, you know, in some ways, a life of suffering. You know, not as much now, but definitely when I was younger. But it's, it's like, I can, I, you know, I can throw out to you 30 things that stuttering has taught me. It's taught me empathy. It's taught me grace. It's taught me to slow down. Like it's, and, and what I've had to do in the midst of this is I've had to just not look at the suffering. I've had to say, what does the suffering have the potential to teach me? What can I learn? And what do you, what do, you do when you do this? You redeem it. You redeem it to where it now makes you better and it glorifies God. I, I know this isn't pop, popular. I know this isn't sexy. I know this isn't something that makes you want to shout, but this is something that when you suffer, not if you suffer, hopefully you've remembered my words and what I'm saying because you, it's coming. It's coming. But here's the thing. Suffering, it produces, it, it, it essentially makes us stronger. It has the potential to teach us, but suffering also does this. It reminds us that this world is broken and this is not our ultimate home. Whenever I see suffering, something inside of me says, that's not right. There shouldn't be people dying from hunger. There shouldn't be people dying in tornadoes. There shouldn't be people dying. There, there, there shouldn't be 
women being taken advantage of in sex trafficking. There should not be. I mean, just all of these realities that we see, that, that family didn't deserve to die. What I have learned to do is when I see things, of, when I see visions of suffering, when, when, when I see things, this alarm goes off in me. This isn't the way it was supposed to be, and that's the truth. But the thing is, this isn't the way it's going to be. Because as Christians, though we live in this world where there is so much suffering, we know at a point in time, Jesus will come and right all the wrongs, all the injustices, he will bring justice. Everything that has been hidden and covered up will come to light and Jesus will come and rule and reign and his kingdom will take over again and he will rule and reign with justice and righteousness and peace and love. And so in this place in between, we see suffering, but then that suffering sparks something inside of us. And we say, this isn't the way it's going to be. That one day he's gonna wipe away every tear from every single eye and it's gonna make all the wrongs right. So suffering, when you see suffering, let it spark something inside of you. Let it almost spark this desire inside of you, this urge inside of you to be like, there's something better. This isn't home. I'm on the opposing team's court but one day we're gonna go home. So while I'm here on the opposing team's court, while I'm here on this earth, I'm gonna bring as much heaven into this hell as I possibly can, as Jesus did the same thing. He came and took, his, took all of heaven and brought it to earth. And where there was sickness, he brought healing. Where there was hopelessness, he brought hope. Where there was people being having prejudice and racism against them, he took them, elevated them, and said that they're blessed as Christians in this world that's, that, that is deeply in between. We, we bring as much heaven as we can to this earth because we've been sent here, not sentenced here, and we bring as much hope as we can into the darkness. In closing, let me review. In between worlds, you're there. You're a citizen of heaven, yet we live on the opposing team's court. We live lives that are that, that, that show what gospel we belong to, what our new identity is. As the church, we don't fight against each other. We fight, stand, and struggle together. We have unity, but not uniformity. We keep fear in the passenger seat or out of the car. We don't let fear drive us. And then we say, okay, let's suffer, and let's suffer well, and let's let suffering teach us. Let's let suffering build us, and let's let suffering be a siren that says there's something beyond that's coming. I don't know when, I don't know how, but one day Jesus is going to do it. I thank God for his word. I thank God for this book, this chapter that we have walked through. And we're excited in two weeks, the first weekend of February, we're starting in Philippians chapter two, and we're doing a series called Relationships 101. The next chapter is all about relationships. So we're gonna talk about friendship, marriage, any sort of relationship that's gonna be helpful it's going to be building, like Paul just transitions from talking about this into relationships. It's going to be amazing. But I'm thankful for what we've learned and gleaned here. And I'm excited about next week for Vision Sunday. Would you join us? Before then, though, let me pray. And let's just pray that this word would soak in our hearts. And then we'd become more like Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word that is living, active, and breathing. And we just pray that our hearts would be open to receive what you spoke today. Let it resonate and reverberate in our mind and spirit throughout this coming week. I pray that those watching God would be assured of their, of their identity in you and that because of that, it invites us into a new life with new behaviors. 
that because of who we now are, we live up to who we already are. Thank you for giving us the strength to live in between worlds where, God, we have to, to wrestle with suffering and we have to wrestle with fear. We have to wrestle, God, with, with not fighting each other but fighting together as, as the church. I pray that as we're in this in-between world, you give us the strength to conduct ourselves in a manner that's worthy of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. And if today's message helped or inspired you, feel free to share it with someone. If after today's message you have questions, need help, or just want somebody to talk to or process with, just shoot LifeHouse a text to 757-690-2401. For more information about LifeHouse, you can visit us at lifehouseonline.church. That's lifehouseonline.church.